Okay, so today we're going to talk about my favorite Ravamital story, a little bit about the um, Kina, very sad Kina. I want to get you guys ready for Tishabav. And Kobe Ko, nice to meet you. Hi. Uh, where are you from? Which school do you go to? Uh, Toronto, um, or Oh, yeah, yeah, great to meet you. Okay, we're going to talk about a little bit of Devarim, a little bit of Tishabav, and a little bit of Ravamital. So, in the beginning of this week's Parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu introduces a lot of different locations. Let me see if I have a Tanakh here. Let me just grab a Tanakh for a second. Here we go. So Moshe talks about, beginning a lot of different geotags, a lot of different coordinates. And one of the places he mentions is that when they go into Israel, Barava will be in the meadows, Bahar in the mountains, Bashvelan, the lowlands of Anegev in the south. I live a little south, pushes towards Beit Lechem and Chevron, Uvanegev, Chofayam, the coast. Eretz HaKanani Levanon. Now, the simple meaning of Levanon is that Moshe is talking about Lebanon, and, and at some point, Eretz Yisrael, at least biblically, extended all the way up to Lebanon. But Chazal feel the word Lebanon, Levanon, is actually a nickname for the base of Mikdash. How many nicknames of the base of Mikdash do you know? It's a good Tishabab question, right? Anyone know a good nickname for the base of Mikdash? What else is it called? Sion, Ariel, Har Hashem, Beis Elohim. But a nickname for the Beis HaMikdash is the word Livanon. Bet you never knew that one. So why is the Beis HaMikdash referred to as Livanon? So our Chazal had two different reasons the Beis HaMikdash is called Livanon. Number one, because of the word Lavan. Why would you associate the Beis HaMikdash with Lavan? Because the Beis HaMikdash is a site for Korbanos. And korbanos span a lot of different parts of human experience. You bring a carbon when you want to just feel closer to Hashem. I was just speaking to one of the Shir Dalad boys and trying to think about next year. He's been already through the army. How's he going to work on feeling closer to Hashem? He did nothing wrong. He's a great kid. He's learning great. He's learning strong. But he wants to feel closer to Hashem. So you bring a carbonola just to feel closer to Hashem. Sometimes you feel like everything in your life is working. Not just your religion, but your family, your wife, your children, your pranasa. You feel like everything's set. Sometimes you feel it's not so set. Some of the things are working, some things are not working. When you feel like everything is just all together, you bring a carbon schlum. Some of the meat goes to the mizbech, some goes to the coin, some goes to... You feel like everything's on an even keel. We call it equilibrium. Good pH. Everything's balanced. So you bring a carbon schlum. But one of the major korbanos is a carbon chadas. When you feel like you failed. Now keep in mind, guys, you're a little young, but it's really important to hear some of these messages. One of the best routes to growth in life, not just professionally, religiously, and personally, is to be able to say the following two words. I was wrong. I made a mistake. Four words. If you get past that, you're really in good shape. A lot of people, it takes them 30, 40 years to get to the point where they can admit their mistakes and recover. If you get past that point early, you really become a good person to work with, to live with, to grow with. You say, I made a mistake. It's human. You made a mistake. Sometimes you make mistakes that aren't moral. You just, I don't know, you forgot to take the fish out on time. You, uh, you, you drove too fast. It's not a moral failure. You just made a mistake and error in judgment. Sometimes you make moral failures. Those are called sins. It may not be sins in the harsh sense that you ate meat and milk, but they're moral shortcomings. And you can just say, I made a mistake, and how can I recover? So achatas is a really important part. When you realize you made a mistake, you look in the mirror, you look at what's looking back at you, and you say, I'm not happy with what I see in the mirror. A lot of people don't like looking in the mirror. A lot of people would rather look away from the mirror, look at a screen. A lot of people would rather look away from the mirror and look at other people looking at them. That's why social media is so popular today because 
you like to see people looking at you and paying attention to you. So if you look in the mirror and you really, really look back and say, well, is this person, is this someone I'm happy with? It's a good way to lead your life. You look in the mirror and say, am I happy with the person I'm looking at? Then you can just say, look, I made a failure. I made a mistake and I want to recover. Now, what is the color associated with sin in Chazal? It's actually in this week's Haftarah in Yeshaya. Anyone know? You can unmute yourself. You want to take a shot? What's the color associated with sin? Anyone? Okay. I'll give you a, I'll give you a hint. Color associated with sin is red. <laughs> red safer. In this week's Haftarah, If your sins will be red like a worm, or they'll be red like a red string, then I'll make them white like snow. Like white fleece. Very famous passage with Yom Kippur. So this, this color of sin is red, probably because our blood is red. And very often sin plays on our hormones, plays on our flesh, plays on our needs. Interesting why sin would be associated with red. I can tell you why it's not associated with red. Because I'll have many different opinions what the Eitz Hadas was. Was it a grape? Was it an esrog? Was it a fig tree? Was it wheat? It wasn't an apple. The fact that the Eitz Hadas was an apple is total Christian creep. It's Christian ideas. It creeps into the human mind. So ask someone in Shul over Shabbos what the Eitz Hadas was and see if they say apples. Okay, you live in Toronto. That's part of the price of living in Toronto is you got you to gotta deal with all this Christian creep. So for some reason, Chazal saw the color of sin as red and the color of repentance and of tshuva as white. So the Beis HaMikdash is called Livanon, getting back to what we talked about before. It's called Livanon because it's a place to bring many korbanos, but one of the key korbanos is a korban chatos. And the korban chatos is a whitener. It turns red into white. It turns sin into repentance. It turns chayt into tshuva. So the Beis HaMikdash is called Livanon. One of the reasons it's called Livanon is because it makes things white. Got it? Can you hear me? So now that I have your attention about white, let me tell you, let me shift, I'll get back to the base on Mikdash, shift it to my favorite Ravamitel story. Okay, because it's also, keep in mind, today's theme is white. So we have the white, the red turning into white. Now we have Ravamitel story. Okay. It was 1988, and we were in Yeshiva, and the first Intifada broke out. Not the one that you know about, the first Intifada, 1988. And the army needed a lot of manpower to quell the protests. It wasn't so much bombings. It was more just a lot of protests in all the Arab villages. There were like thousands of Arabs were throwing rocks and holding signs. And they just needed manpower to police the protests. Now, in those days, the Hezder boys would learn for nine months, serve for a year, learn for another six months, serve for another six months, and then they come back to Yeshiva for a couple of years. So they'd already been serving in the army twice, and the older boys were back in Yeshiva, and they could just learn without going back to the army. And the army called them up and said, we need you guys to come back to the army. It was between Purim and Pesach. Because of the Intifada, we need extra manpower. Because when you're in Hezder, you're officially in the army for five years. Even though you only serve for part of the time, you're officially on the roster, and you're the first people to be called up as reserves. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, when they needed soldiers to give out food in B'nai Brak, because there was, this, there was a closure in B'nai Brak, so all of my Talmudim were called into the army for two weeks to package foods. So there's like these great videos of them sitting there packaging food, singing Hatikva. So you're officially in the army even when you're not serving. Okay? So they called all these boys in 1988 to the army to serve in these Arab villages. And all the guys are really depressed. We were in the army already for two, two services in 16 months. We don't want to go back to the army. They were really, really bummed out. So Ramitan got everyone together 
They said, let me tell you the story of my Shabbos in the concentration camp. So Ramitel, whose 10th yard site was this week, really special person. One day, teach all you guys a lot about Ramitel. Really, really special person. So he was in the concentration camps. He was the founding Rosh Hashiv of Gush. And he's in the concentration camps. And he said, I didn't really have the Shabbos. Shabbos, we worked all day. Shabbos, we didn't have Shabbos food. You know what I had? I had a white shirt. A little white shirt. I'm wearing a white shirt because it's a Scottish. A little white shirt that I kept in the barracks. And I would fold every Arab Shabbos and stick it into my pajama uniform. You know, those pajama uniforms they wore. I'd stick it inside. And then around Shkia time, when we were working in the forest, I would go out, excuse myself as if I was trying to go to the bathroom, put on my white shirt, and be Mikavel Shabbos. And that was all I had for Shabbos. I didn't have Kugel, I didn't have Zemiros, I didn't have Chalas, I didn't have Kiddush, I didn't have food, I didn't have rest. But all my Shabbos was wrapped up into that white shirt. And I felt Shabbos so deeply because it was all in that white shirt. And he said, you guys, you're spoiled. Sometimes your Shabbos is spread around Zemiros and Kugel and Shalent. And he says, this year, when you're in the army for Pesach, you're not going to have a big Seder with all your family. You're just going to have a 15-minute Seder. You have to quickly eat your matzah, quickly eat your maror, quickly eat your charosis, say Haggadah quickly, 15, 20 minutes and go out because you're on duty. It's my son had this year. My son is in a Golani unit. told me this year's Seder was hard. He was in a Golani unit. He was serving. He had to be out doing, doing his shifts. And he just quickly ate his matzah, ate his maror, did his Seder, and then went back out. He says, but trust me, those 15 minutes that you're going to have are going to be like my white shirt. It's going to be intense. It's going to be deep. Hashem will be with you. And you're going to get all of your Seder from those 15 minutes. Like I got all of my Shabbos from that little white shirt. And our Ramitel's message was, sometimes when you have less, yeah, I have more. You think you have less, all you have is a white shirt, you have more. Because you really pour your emotions into it. Sometimes you have less, you think you have a 15 minutes Seder. Sometimes you have, when you have more, you have less, right? You realize now in life when we have more, we sometimes have less. Sometimes you have less, you have more, depending on what you make of it. So anyway, fast forward. That was in 1988. Fast forward now to 2003 or so a little bit earlier, 2002, about eight, nine years ago, my wife, unfortunately, was very, very, very sick. Very sick. She was like really in, in Sakhanis and Fashos. We had a very hard week. We were in the hospital, ups and downs and ups and downs. Baruch Hashem, we took care of it and was dealt with and we were over, out of the woods at a certain point. We had to be there for Shabbos because she was still recovering. So Shabbos in Israeli hospitals is very, very eerie because everyone's leaving. Like if you're in a hospital in Toronto, no one's leaving. It's a regular day. In Israel, it's like everyone's getting out of Dodge City. Everyone's leaving, except for the skeleton staff that's staying behind, a few doctors, a few nurses. But you're walking into the hospital with your little basket of food and your little basket of wine. Everyone's walking out the other way. <laughs> the doors are swinging one way, and you're coming in the wrong way. So I come with my little basket of gefilte fish and a little bottle of grape juice and some little food. And I go to any member in Israel, when you're in a hospital bed, you don't have a room. You have a little corner separated by a curtain. Just Israel hospitals, you don't have enough space to make private rooms. So with rare exceptions, you just have a little space with the curtains. It's really, it's not, you don't have even a place to be. So I walked into my wife's little space. We had this terribly difficult week of ups and downs. And I walk in with a little basket of food. And she pulls away the curtain and the whole place is sparkling clean. She's holding one flower in her hand that a nurse had given her, like one of the people doing chesley, giving out flowers. And she said, this is all we have, but this will be our white shirt for Shabbos. And we started crying and crying and crying because stories really change your life. I'll put a link later on the, the group of 25 Ravamital stories that I've spoken about on why you thought and what they've taught me and how they changed my life. So the base on Mikdash is called white because it turns red into white. And I thought a lot about Ravamital shirt. But let's get back to the base on Mikdash. A second reason the base on Mikdash is called white 
Why else is it called Livanon? Not because Livanon comes from the word Lavan, but Livanon also contains not three letters. Keep in mind, this is drushas. This is a drusha of the Medrash. In Hebrew, those of you who are strict etymologists, in Hebrew, most words are three letters. Most words have a root that's three letters. Um, Allah, Yarad, Achal, Yashan. It's always three letters. So whenever you have a drasha, you can play around with etymology. But the drasha, the Medrash says that Livanon doesn't just come from Lavan, which is a three-letter root. It comes from the word Lave, Lamed Beis. Lave is your heart. Why would the Beis HaMikdash be called a heart? Because the hearts of all the Jewish people are centered on the Beis HaMikdash. They're always thinking about the Beis HaMikdash. And because it's a place that's the epicenter of Jewish hearts, it's called Livanon, not just in the word Lavan, but also from the word Lave, heart. Now, that's a very different view of the Beis HaMikdash. Let me tell you what function of the Beis HaMikdash this version of Livanon captures, and how sometimes, and I, I wrote about this actually this week. Where did I write about it? I forgot where. Uh, in one of the interviews, I was interviewed by a newspaper. But sometimes they clash. The first part of the Beis HaMikdash, Livanon as Lavan, talks about the Beis HaMikdash as a ritual center. Korbanos, Chatas, Tfilos, Avodos. The second part talks about the Beis HaMikdash as a national center. The Jews are thinking about the Beis HaMikdash. Not every Jew that's thinking about the Beis HaMikdash is thinking about a carpet. He's just thinking about a place to be. In the days of the Beis HaMikdash, people came to the Beis HaMikdash just to be together as a national assembly, as a national pilgrimage. People just came together. Yom Kippur in the Beis HaMikdash was very different from our Yom Kippurs, even non-Karali Yom Kippurs. Even regular Yom Kippurs for us, we're in Shul, we're under our talis, we're saying al Khayb. In the Beis HaMikdash, you all came, millions of people, you stood in the Beis HaMikdash and you watched. It was a public event. It was like going to a basketball game. I mean, not with, without the beer, without the food, without the flags, but you're getting together and you're sitting there watching the Kohen. It was a national experience. So the second function of the Beis HaMikdash is to be this national magnet for people to always come and be together and stand in front of the Beis HaMikdash and be in Yerushalayim, carbon or no carbon, just to be in Yerushalayim together. So the Beis HaMikdash really had two different roles. Religion, national. You hear what I just said? Religion, national. That's the struggle that we face in this building every single day. What I mean is as follows. If you take a more Haredi approach, then you basically say, I'm only interested in one thing. I'm only interested in this. And this is endless. And this is all-consuming. Everything. You can spend 500,000 lifetimes in this, in a Gemara and in mitzvahs. That's your sole interest. And you don't see the budding nation of the state of Israel as relevant to your religious investment. You're learning and performing mitzvahs and davening, and then Hashem will decide when to bring Mashiach. So essentially, you're cycling on the rhythm the Jews always lived for hundreds of years before we had the chance to build Israel. And Hashem, I'll, I'll leave Israel, I'll leave history to Hashem, I'll leave that whole part to Kodesh Baruch, which is fine. If you believe that's what Hashem wants from you, that's the general approach of what is Hashem. The world that I inhabit says, now we have a state, and Hashem wants us to be partners with him in building this state and building a nation. And I can't just worry about this. I have to worry about the army. But it's not just the army. That's the, that's the beginning of it. It's the police and it's society and it's social welfare and it's crime. And it's, I have to worry about how to make a Jewish presence felt in my country because I want this country to be Jewish. I don't want to let secular people run the country and wait for Hashem. I want to try to infuse it. Today, the army doesn't need the, I don't know, 1,200, 1,300 Hezra boys serving the army. They could get by without the manpower. 
But we need from kids to be in the army because so many secular Jews are alienated to religion because they only see religion in politics when it's about money and about confrontation and when there's protests. The army is such a wonderful opportunity. When I speak to my son, who's a commander in the Golani unit, he's not choosing because they need another commander. He's Mekadeshem Shemayim, minute by minute, by showing secular Israelis what religion is supposed to be when it's not pressure and competition, when you're all, it's not like a foxhole to create unity. When you're all in the foxhole, everyone's together, everyone's equal. So when you feel like you're being treated equal, you're more open to listening to people. When you feel like you're being talked to or spoken to or given muscle, then you yeah, I don't, don't talk to me. Don't tell me about your life. This is my life. When you feel like oh, we're all fighting together, then all of a sudden you can learn from each other and you can grow from each other. Those are the two poles of the Beis HaMikdash, of Livanom. On the one hand, Korbanos, religion, Chatos. On the other hand, the people. So it's not always so easy to reconcile the two in general. Do you, there's half a million people that emigrated from the former Soviet Union living in Israel who aren't Jewish because their fathers were Jewish in Russia, their mothers were not Jewish. So technically they need conversion. They don't want halachic conversion because they're living in Israel and most Israelis aren't from, they're just naturally born Jews. They don't keep Shabbos halachically, they don't keep kashrus halachically necessarily. They don't, they don't so maybe kashrus they do because they don't have so much non-kosher food in Israel, but they don't keep halachos carefully. So a Russian says, I'm happy to convert, like Ophir or Amir, the guy I work with at work. I want to be like him. I don't want to accept mitzvahs. So Haredi response is, well, that's not kosher geras. If you look up in, in Shulchan Aruch, that's not real geras. Our response is, yeah, you're right, it's halacha, but how can we find a way? We can't have a half a million people living in the state of Israel that aren't halachically Jewish, because it's not just their disappointment, but there are another million Russians who are Jewish, but they live together. So... It's a really difficult problem. So Haredi approaches, I don't worry about it. I just bring more Kiddush in the world. I learn more Gemara. I learn more Musil Sharm. And I let Hashem worry about that, which is a legitimate approach. So the world I live in is a very, very complex world, which you have a lot of moving parts. You have to make work at once. But I feel that's it, for me at least, is a deeper form of Avodah Hashem. So this came to a head over the last couple of years because a lot of Jews in Israel and a lot of Jews in North America, to be honest, want a Kotel and want a place to dive into the Kota, the base of Mikdash, and a place that will embrace them, but without divisions between men and women. Because their image of tefillah is joint men and women. Now, our image of tefillah is separation between men and women. So I'm um, a Haredi type person. I don't care about that. I just care about one thing, maintaining the integrity of the spirit of the Kotel and making sure that men and women are separate. But if I'm worried about the identification of millions of Jews across the world with the state of Israel, and with the base on Mikdash, and with Yerushalayim, which is important to me because I care about a secular Jew. So I'm twisting my mind and saying, how can I create a space at the Kotel for them to come? It's not legal tefillah, and I wouldn't want it close to the Kotel, maybe far back in the plaza. How can I create an area for people who want to congregate for Jewish events without a mechitza that's not tefillah? I don't know if there's a solution to that, but I know there's a problem there. So within this one word, Levanon, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, in, is planting two very different roles for the Beis HaMikdash and two roles that sometimes one day won't be. One day everyone who's a Jew will be from. Everyone who's a Jew will be religious. Everyone who's a Jew will want to see the Beis HaMikdash as a national place for all the hearts to be drawn towards, as well as a place for Korbanos and Halacha. We're not at that point yet. We're living in a broken reality. If you want to try to merge the two, it's a real challenge. I feel honored to live in that world. I feel like this is what Hashem wants for me. That's why I chose this world, because I think Hashem wants me to take my religion, my Avodah Hashem, and try to spread it as broad as I can. Okay, so our minute, I guess we never get to the third part. <laughs> it's nice to meet you, Kobe. 
and uh, Eliyahu and Jonah and Jacob, Kyle, Eitan. I'll have to work on my fancy schmancy non-working you know, microphone. Anyone wants to send me a gift or something, a microphone that actually works. And uh, we'll see you next week, okay? I'll have to think, maybe on Tisha B'Av we'll do something. Maybe we'll do something on Tisha B'Av, okay? But I have to tell you, on Tisha B'Av, I don't smile. I'm very, very serious on Tisha B'Av. So if you see me making faces, it's not that I'm angry at you. It's that I think that, uh, I don't know, that Kobe, uh, you know, shouldn't be joining or something. It's just on Tisha B'Av, I'm really, really deadly serious about Tisha B'Av. So I'm not sure I want to give on Tisha B'Av. We'll see. Maybe early air of Tisha B'Av, okay? Thank you. I'll put up some links for you on the triple seven for that stories. But if if red is always associated with like um, tuma and, and like impurity, then why is um, the why is the paraduma, which is like the symbol of like getting getting to a, a status of purity, like wouldn't that be right? That's a really good question. I really never thought about it. It's an excellent, excellent question. My initial response, but I want to think about it a little more. It's a really, really, really deep question. I'm really proud of you. It's a really, really good question. I would imagine that you're trying to create a, an icon of sin, and then when you burn the paraduma, you're, expun- you're expunging the sin. As if the paraduma okay. processed alive, then the question would be, oh, it's red. How can you process it? But you're, it's the same thing like the Sire La Zazel, those two goats, and you're heaping all the arrows into it, and then you're throwing it over the cliff. So you're creating an act that's destructive. It's a really good, it's a really, really good question. Let me ponder it a little bit. Okay? Okay, great. Thank you. Are you a redhead or is that just the light hitting you? Uh, no, that's just the light. I'm, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You too. There's a bunch of bozos. You didn't tell me before. Okay. We'll have to start this year. No, we heard from everywhere except the Right after you started, Rabbi started talking about the Adam Lavan, then the sound cut out. Now we can't now hear we Rabbi can. again. Sam's gone again. No, now, now we can't hear sound. Now. Yes. now we can hear. Okay. So we're going to start. Okay, so. Here, 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 we'll take it as. I was t- telling you why white is the is the color of repentance and red is the color of sin. Is that where I clocked out before? So the reason is not because the Eitz Hadas was an apple. Chazal have four different opinions what the Eitz Hadas was. It was either grapes, it was either a fig, it was either wheat, or it was esrog. It wasn't an apple. The fact that the Eitz Hadas was an apple is total Christian creep. It's Christian ideas. It creeps into the human mind. So ask someone in Shul over Shabbos what the Eitz was and see if they say apples. Okay, you live in Toronto. That's part of the price of living in Toronto is you got you to gotta deal with all this Christian creep. So for some reason, Chazal saw the color of sin as red and the color of repentance and of tshuva as white. So the Beis HaMikdash is called Livanon, getting back to what we talked about before. It's called Livanon because it's a place to bring many korbanos, but one of the key korbanos is a korban chatas. And the korban chatas is a whitener. It turns red into white. It turns sin into repentance. It turns chayt into tshuva. So the base of mikdash is called levanon. One of the reasons it's called levanon is because it makes things white. Got it? Can you hear me? So now that I have your attention about white, let me tell you, let me shift. I'll get back to the base of mikdash, shift it to my favorite Ravamital story. Okay, because it's also, keep in mind, today's theme is white. So we have the white, the red turning into white. Now we have Ravamital story. Okay. 
it was 1988, and we were in yeshiva, and the first intifada broke out. Not the one that you know about, the first intifada, 1988. And the army needed a lot of manpower to quell the protests. It wasn't so much bombings. It was more just a lot of protests in all the Arab villages. So like thousands of Arabs were throwing rocks and holding signs. And they just needed manpower to police the protests. Now, in those days, the Hezder boys would learn for nine months, serve for a year, learn for another six months, serve for another six months, and then they come back to Yeshiva for a couple of years. So they'd already been serving in the army twice, and the older boys were back in Yeshiva, and they could just learn without going back to the army. And the army called them up and said, we need you guys to come back to the army. It was between Purim and Pesach. Because of the Intifada, we need extra manpower. Because when you're in Hezder, you're officially in the army for five years. Even though you only serve for part of the time, you're officially on the roster, and you're the first people to be called up as reserves. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, when they needed soldiers to give out food in B'nai Brak, because there was, this, there was a closure in B'nai Brak, so all of my Talmudim were called into the army for two weeks to package foods. So it's like these great videos of them sitting there packaging food, singing Hatikva. So you're officially in the army even when you're not serving. Okay? So they called all these boys in 1988 to the army to serve in these Arab villages. And all the guys are really depressed. We were in the army already for two, two services in 16 months. We don't want to go back to the army. They were really, really bummed out. So Ramitan got everyone together. They said, let me tell you the story of my Shabbos in the concentration camp. So Ramitan, whose 10th yard site was this week, really special person. One day, teach all you guys a lot about Ramitan. Really, really special person. So he was in the concentration camps. He was the founding Rosh Hashiva of Bush. And he was in the concentration camps. And he said, I didn't really have a Shabbos. Shabbos, we worked all day. Shabbos, we didn't have Shabbos food. You know what I had? I had a white shirt. Little white shirt. I'm wearing a white shirt because it's a Scottish. Little white shirt that I kept in the barracks, and I would fold every Arab Shabbos and stick it into my pajama uniform. You know those pajama uniforms they wore? I'd stick it inside. And then around Shkia time, when we were working in the forest, I would go out, excuse myself as if I was trying to go to the bathroom, put on my white shirt, and be Makavo Shabbos. And that was all I had for Shabbos. I didn't have kugel, I didn't have zmiros, I didn't have chalas, I didn't have kiddush, I didn't have food, I didn't have rest. But all my Shabbos was wrapped up into that white shirt. And I felt Shabbos so deeply because it was all in that white shirt. And he said, you guys, you're spoiled. Sometimes your Shabbos is spread around zmiros and kugel and shalom. And he says, this year, when you're in the army for Pesach, you're not going to have a big seder with all your family. You're just going to have a 15-minute seder. You have to quickly eat your matzah, quickly eat your maror, Quickly eat your charosis, say Haggadah quickly, 15, 20 minutes and go out because you're on duty. It's my son had this year. My son is in a Golani unit. Told me this year a Seder was hard. He was in a Golani unit. He was serving. He had to be out doing, doing his shifts. And he just quickly ate his masa, ate his maror, did his Seder, and then went back out. He says, but trust me, those 15 minutes that you're going to have are going to be like my white shirt. It's going to be intense. It's going to be deep. Hashem will be with you. And you're going to get all of your Seder from those 15 minutes. Like I got all of my Shabbos from that little white shirt. And our Ramitha's message was, sometimes when you have less, you have more. You think you have less, all you have is a white shirt, you have more, because you really pour your emotions into it. Sometimes you have less, then you have a 15 minutes later. Sometimes you have, when you have more, you have less, right? You realize now in life when we have more, we sometimes have less. Sometimes you have less, you have more, depending on what you make of it. So anyway, fast forward. That was in 1988. Fast forward now to 2003 or so, a little bit earlier, 2002, about eight, nine years ago. My wife, unfortunately, was very, very, very sick. Very sick. She was like really in Sakanis and Fashos. We had a very hard week. We were in the hospital, ups and downs and ups and downs. Baruch Hashem, we 
took care of it and was dealt with, and we were over out of the woods at a certain point. We had to be there for Shabbos because she was still recovering. So Shabbos in Israeli hospitals is very, very eerie because everyone's leaving. Like if you're in a hospital in Toronto, no one's leaving. It's a regular day. In Israel, it's like everyone's getting out of Dodge City. Everyone's leaving, except for the skeleton staff that's staying behind, a few doctors, a few nurses. But you're walking into the hospital with your little basket of food and your little basket of wine. Everyone's walking out the other way. <laughs> the doors are swinging one way, and you're coming in the wrong way. So I come with my little basket of gefilte fish and a little bottle of grape juice and some little food. And I go to any member in Israel, when you're in a hospital bed, you don't have a room. You have a little corner separated by a curtain. Just Israel hospitals, you don't have enough space to make private rooms. So with rare exceptions, you just have a little space with the curtains. It's really, it's not, you don't have even a place to be. So I walked into my wife's little space. We had this terribly difficult week of ups and downs. And I walk in with my little basket of food. And she pulls away the curtain. And the whole place is sparkling clean. She's holding one flower in her hand that a nurse had given her, like one of the people doing festival giving out flowers. And she said, this is all we have, but this will be our white shirt for Shabbos. And we started crying and crying and crying because stories really change your life. I'll put a link later on the, the group of 25 Ravamital stories that I've spoken about on why you thought and what they've taught me and how they changed my life. So... The base on Mikdash is called white because it turns red into white. And I thought a lot about Rav Amitel's shirt. But let's get back to the base on Mikdash. A second reason the base on Mikdash is called white. Why else is it called Livanon? Not because Livanon comes from the word Lavan, but Livanon also contains not three letters. Keep in mind, this is drushas. This is a drasha of the Medrash. In Hebrew, those of you who are strict etymologists, in Hebrew, most words are three letters. Most words have a root that's three letters. Um, Allah, Yarad, Achal, Yashan. It's always three letters. So whenever you have a drasha, you can play around with etymology. But the drasha, the Medrash says that Livanon doesn't just come from Lavan, which is a three-letter root. It comes from the word Lave, Lamed Beis. Lave is your heart. Why would the Beis HaMikdash be called a heart? Because the hearts of all the Jewish people are centered on the Beis HaMikdash. They're always thinking about the Beis HaMikdash. And because it's a place that's the epicenter of Jewish hearts, it's called Livanon, not just in the word Lavan, but also from the word Lave, heart. Now, that's a very different view of the Beis HaMikdash. Let me tell you what function of the Beis HaMikdash this version of Livanon captures, and how sometimes, and I wrote about this actually this week. Where did I write about it? I forgot where. Uh, in one of the interviews, I was interviewed by a newspaper. But sometimes they clash. The first part of the Beis HaMikdash, Livanon as Lavan, talks about the Beis HaMikdash as a ritual center. Korbanos, Chatas, Tfilos, Avodos. The second part talks about the Beis HaMikdash as a national center. The Jews are just thinking about the Beis HaMikdash. Not every Jew that's thinking about the Beis HaMikdash is thinking about a carpet. He's just thinking about a place to be. In the days of the Beis HaMikdash, people came to the Beis HaMikdash just to be together as a national assembly, as a national pilgrimage. People just came together. Yom Kippur in the Beis HaMikdash was very different from our Yom Kippur's, even non-Kurali Yom Kippur's. Even regular Yom Kippur's for us, we're in Shul, we're under our talis, we're saying al okay. In the Beis HaMikdash, you all came, millions of people, you stood in the Beis HaMikdash, and you watched. It was a public event. It was like going to a basketball game. I mean, not with, without the beer, without the food, without the flags, but you were getting together, and you're sitting there watching the Kona. It was a national experience. So the second function of the Beis HaMikdash is to be this national magnet for people to always come and be together and stand in front of the Beis HaMikdash and be in Yerushalayim, carbon or no carbon, just to be in Yerushalayim together. So the Beis HaMikdash really had two different roles. Religion, national. You hear what I just said? Religion, national. That's the struggle that we face in this building every single day. What I mean is as follows. 
if you take a more Haredi approach, then you basically say, I'm only interested in one thing. I'm only interested in this. And this is endless, and this is all-consuming. Everything, you can spend 500,000 lifetimes in this, in a Gemara and in mitzvahs. That's your sole interest. And you don't see the budding nation of the state of Israel as relevant to your religious investment. You're learning and performing mitzvahs and davening, and then Hashem will decide when to bring Mashiach. So essentially, you're cycling on the rhythm. The Jews always lived for hundreds of years before we had the chance to build Israel. And Hashem, I'll, I'll leave Israel, I'll leave history to Hashem, I'll leave that whole part to HaKadosh Baruch, which is fine. If you believe that's what Hashem wants from you, that's the general approach of Hashem. The world that I inhabit says, now we have a state, and Hashem wants us to be partners with Him in building this state, and building a nation, and I can't just worry about this, I have to worry about the army. But it's not just the army, that's the, that's the beginning of it. It's the police, and it's society, and it's social welfare, and it's crime, and it's, I have to worry about how to make a Jewish presence felt in my country, because I want this country to be Jewish. I don't want to let secular people run the country and wait for Hashem. I want to try to infuse it. Today, the army doesn't need the, I don't know, 12, 1,300 Hezder boys serving the army. They could get by without the manpower. But we need from kids to be in the army because so many secular Jews are alienated to religion because they only see religion in politics when it's about money and about confrontation and when there's protests. The army is such a wonderful opportunity. When I speak to my son, who's a commander in the Golani unit, he's not choosing because they need another commander. He's Mekadeh Shem Shemayim, minute by minute, by showing secular Israelis what religion is supposed to be when it's not pressure and competition. When you're all, it's not like a foxhole to create unity. When you're all in the foxhole, everyone's together. Everyone's equal. So when you feel like you're being treated equal, you're more open to listen to people. When you feel like you're being talked to or spoken to or given muscle, then you yeah, I don't, don't talk to me. Don't tell me about your life. This is my life. When you feel like oh, we're all fighting together, then all of a sudden you can learn from each other and you can grow from each other. Those are the two poles of the Beis HaMikdash, of Livanon. On the one hand, Korbanos, religion, Chatos. On the other hand, the people. So it's not always so easy to reconcile the two in general. Do you, there's half a million people that emigrated from the former Soviet Union living in Israel who aren't Jewish because their fathers were Jewish in Russia, their mothers were not Jewish. So technically they need conversion. They don't want halachic conversion because they're living in Israel and most Israelis aren't from, they're just naturally born Jews. They don't keep Shabbos halachically, they don't keep kashras halachically necessarily. They don't, they don't so maybe kashras they do because they don't have so much non-kosher food in Israel, but they don't keep halachas carefully. So a Russian says, I'm happy to convert, like Ophir or Amir, the guy I work with at work. I want to be like him. I don't want to accept mitzvahs. So Haredi response is, well, that's not kosher geras. If you look up in, in Shulchan Aruch, that's not real geras. Our response is, yeah, you're right, it's halacha, but how can we find a way? We can't have a half a million people living in the state of Israel that aren't halachically Jewish, because it's not just their disappointment, but there are another million Russians who are Jewish, but they live together. So... It's a really difficult problem. So Haredi approaches, I don't worry about it. I just bring more Kiddush in the world. I learn more Gemara. I learn more Masil Sisharim. And I let Hashem worry about that, which is a legitimate approach. So the world I live in is a very, very complex world, which you have a lot of moving parts. You have to make work at once. But I feel that's it, for me at least, is a deeper form of Avodah Hashem. So this came to a head over the last couple of years because a lot of Jews in Israel and a lot of Jews in North America, to be honest, want a Kotel and want a place to dominate the Kota of the Beis HaMikdash and a place that will embrace them, but without divisions between men and women. Because their image of Tzvila 
is joint men and women. Now, our image of tefillah is separation between men and women. So I'm a Haredi type of us. I don't care about that. I just care about one thing, maintaining the integrity of the spirit of the Kotel and making sure that men and women are separate. But if I'm worried about the identification of millions of Jews across the world with the state of Israel and with the Beis HaMikdash and with Yerushalayim, which is important to me because I care about a secular Jew, so I'm twisting my mind and saying, how can I create a space with the Kotel for them to come? It's not legal tefillah. And I wouldn't want it close to the culture, maybe far back in the plaza. But how can I create an area for people who want to congregate for Jewish events without a mechitza that's not tefillah? I don't know if there's a solution to that, but I know there's a problem there. So within this one word, Levanon, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, in, is planting two very different roles for the Beis HaMikdash and two roles that sometimes one day won't be. One day everyone who's a Jew will be from. Everyone who's a Jew will be religious. Everyone who's a Jew will want to see the base of Mikdash as a national place for all the hearts to be drawn towards, as well as a place for Kurbanos and Halacha. We're not at that point yet. We're living in a broken reality. If you want to try to merge the two, it's a real challenge. I feel honored to live in that world. I feel like this is what Hashem wants for me. That's why I chose this world, because I think Hashem wants me to take my religion, my Avodah Hashem, and try to spread it as broad as I can.